Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration sits within the United States Department of Transportation and promotes and enhances safety regulations for millions of commercial motor vehicles on thousands of miles of highways. It's a lot of enforcement, it's a lot of highway, but also a lot of trucks. And when we're talking about new technologies like autonomous vehicles, the FMCSA is taking center stage in shaping policy that will impact how things are hauled. But what exactly does the FMCSA do? And how do government agencies view technologies that may radically change the face of trucking? Well, folks, it's your lucky day because we're going to find out in this episode of Loaded and Rolling. Welcome to Loaded and Rolling. I'm your host, Thomas Watson. Now, if you've been in the trucking industry for an extended period of time, you may have heard of the FMCSA. From hours of service regulations, drug and alcohol testing, to even getting your CDL, the FMCSA plays a part in what and how you can operate. But unless you're in the Washington, D.C. Beltway, it can feel like a foreign place compared to the angry driver yelling at you due to running out of available hours to drive after waiting half a day at a shipper. But the longer you're in the industry, the more you realize that not understanding the workings of these government organizations can actually put you on the back foot when they make rule changes that can impact the very way you do business. So super excited joining me today about what the FMCSA is and how they'll be taking center stage as the trucking industry is disrupted by autonomous vehicles is Wiley Deck, Vice President of Government Affairs and former FMCSA Deputy Administrator. Now, before joining the FMCSA, Wiley also served over two decades in the U.S. House of Representatives in various roles, including the Director of Oversight and Investigations for the Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure. Welcome, Wiley. Excited to get to talk to you again, this time on a show. <laughs> Thanks, Thomas, uh, for having me on. Uh, good to see you again and uh, happy to be here. I'm happy to be able to talk to you because after looking up your experience, I got to talk to you at um, F3, one of our events, and learning about the autonomous technology that Plus is working on. And then you have this amazing extensive experience also being within the FMCSA and on Capitol Hill. And so, you know, for, for folks like who are not as familiar, when you start at the FMCSA or the DOT, it's under the Department of Transportation, um, is this something where you see a lot of people who are maybe former drivers and it's like, I'm a driver, I'm going to go work for it. Or is this more of a, a situation where folks are saying, I'm interested in getting a career in government. This is one of the opportunities to, to learn more and grow. So I think it's more of the latter, but there are uh, quite a few instances where people are in the trucking industry uh, end up in FMCSA. So there are there is a mix of uh, folks within the agency that have had that uh, private enterprise experience uh, 
and have carried that over into the agency. And looking at as well, um, from how large agencies work and what they focus on, you know, the DOT works on quite a bit. We see the infrastructure bill was passed. They have quite a bit working on not only the infrastructure, but uh, commercial motor vehicles. How in, in the, you know, coming from the FMCSA, how is trucking normally viewed? Is this something where we have a list of things we have to decide on what's important or is there ongoing things that we have on the back burner? When you're looking at a large government agency, uh, you know, what are some of the big things behind the scenes that they're, they're looking at? Well, it, you got to remember that the, the goal of FMCSA is to promote safety in the operation of large trucks and buses on the road. And so there are processes uh, and how they decide how to advance regulations and enforcement measures and other uh, tasks that they that they have to perform. How do they go about deciding that? First, you know, it it's from the top down. Uh, you have whatever administration is in office at the time does guide some of the policies that the agency and the department pursues, and within the agency. They're, they're looking at a bunch of different uh, performance metrics, right? So they're, they're looking at what, what's happening on roadside in, uh, uh, at the stops, what violations are, are predominant, where do they need to focus their efforts, whether it's the grant funding that the agency has, which makes up half of their budget, uh, and where to assign some of the ones that they can target, whether it's for speeding or other uh, aspects uh, to help the states uh, in, enforce uh, f federal regulations and also state regulations in making sure that these vehicles are safe on the roads. So they look at a, at a wide variety of things. They get input from uh, industry on what they should be looking at, but they also get directives from Congress saying you must look at this. And I'll, you know, I'll throw out uh, electronic logging devices. That was not something just cooked up within FMCSA. This was required by law by, uh, by Congress saying that you must uh, implement electronic logging devices in the industry. And so they did uh, what they could within this scope of the requirement to make sure that when it was implemented, it was done in, in a, uh, a way that industry could adapt and uh, adopt those, that new technology. And I think that's a great point because we're talking about adopting new technologies. Uh, you know, the ELD one took quite a few years. Like it felt like a decade because I remember at U.S. Express, large carrier ELD integration was way earlier than when the mandate hit. Um, you know, is that always kind of that push and pull between maybe the, uh, you know, civilian elected head of the FMCSA, it depends on which party is prioritizing which topics, but then you also have on the other end, uh, the constant, you know, you're doing research and you're getting input from various industry people. Does that ever feel like a real tough balancing act between uh, which priorities uh, from the bottom up and the top down? Well, it certainly is. Uh, you have to figure out uh, how to allocate your resources and FMCSA really is, while it's a, it's a large agency within the Department of Transportation, it, it only has 1,100 individuals that, that work for the, for the uh, agency, and they're spread out all over the country. So they have a, a huge task in regulating, I think there are up to a, a million motor carriers uh, right now, uh, 95, 96% of those 
are uh, motor carriers with 10 trucks or fewer. And then you once you move up uh, the ranks to 100 trucks or fewer, you're at 90, almost 99% of the industry that the uh, FMCSA regulates with only 1,300 people. Uh, so it, it's a huge challenge in making sure that they're enforcing regulations that uh, promote safety, reduce not only crashes, but especially uh, crash fatalities. That's but obviously, uh, rules that are mandated by Congress that are signed into law take precedence over some of the other uh, rulemakings. Just some of them are more complicated. Uh, for instance, uh, speed limiters and automatic emergency braking. Those technologies, how do you uh, address implementing those technologies into uh, some older trucks? Uh, you've got the newer trucks with newer capabilities. So how do you do those types of things? Um, so they, these are all partnerships that FMCSA also has to work with NHTSA on in, in advancing some of these uh, rulemaking. So it can add extra layers of bureaucracy and, and the time it takes to implement uh, those new regulations. And that's what I'm curious about because it does feel that the agency itself has rulemaking. You can make rules, the FMCSA issues rulemaking and gets comments. But if I'm lobbying, one thing I typically see a lot of is OIDA, Owner Operator Independent Driver Association, and American Trucking Associations often are jockeying for various forms of uh, you know regulation or, or deregulation. Uh, do you see them typically targeting the FMCSA and DOT first, or is the goal to try and get Congress, like we saw with the ELD, to pass it and then have the, the F DOT FMCSA implement it? Well, it really varies on the topic. Uh, the larger the, the topic, they target uh, Capitol Hill first. Uh, and the reason for that is it is FMCSA is, while it has a, a dynamic impact and dramatic impact, on the supply chain and the trucking industry and, and how uh, the economy moves goods, it's it's still a relatively uh, small agency uh, that doesn't doesn't get a lot of notice from most of government and, and most of America. Uh, so it kind of picks and chooses, you know, where it needs to put its foot forward first uh, without being told to do something by Congress. So on big issues like speed limiters and ELDs and, and uh, underrides and those types of things uh, all typically start with Capitol Hill. Uh, it's not something uh, that FMCSA will tackle on its own without having that, that impetus from, from Congress uh, pushing them to do something like that uh, or something uh, higher up from uh, the presidential level uh, directing the agency or the department to do something along those lines. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. And looking at Congress, you've served over 20 years in Congress uh, and uh, in the House, getting to, to understand the various things. One thing I've heard is that 
the subcommittee, a lot of times you're competing and you want to make sure you're on certain key subcommittees. And so I'm assuming with transportation and such, um, is that one of the subcommittees that if you're a representative in an area that's heavily influenced by infrastructure or what kind of, from your experience, who kind of gravitates towards your transportation and infrastructure related subcommittees to try and influence some of that upcoming you know, rulemaking and changes? So you, you, you get uh, a lot of the folks that are interested in transportation. That, that's going to be the, the most dramatic input you can have, not only for your district, but your state, is the, the billions of dollars that are funded by uh, gas tax, uh, trust fund, and even the general treasury uh, that come into your state. Uh, so it, it, the people that uh, focus on transportation, are, are, they're, they're project-oriented. Uh, it's not as much policy oriented. It's, it's, it's bringing, uh, necessary infrastructure improvements, uh, to your state or to your district. And, and m the boss that I worked for on Capitol Hill for, for 22 years, uh, who ended up being chairman of the transportation committee, uh, he was a, a former real estate developer. So, uh, self-made and, but he loved projects. He loved uh, building things, he loved uh, making sure that uh, they were done in a in a in a smart economical manner to make sure we were maximizing uh, taxpayer dollars. Those are the types of people that you get into the transportation committee. People that want to see uh, soup to nuts. Uh, you know, you take a piece of land and then uh, uh, put in a new highway that increases the economic viability of an area. I think that's really cool because a lot of times when we think of Congress, we only see a small select people who take the time to do the media appearances, the talking points, et cetera. But, you know, behind the scenes working, you know, there's 430 something members of Congress. I'm assuming a lot of it is a lot more mundane, which is structural. How do I improve things and uh, in, in trying to stay focused versus the few that are trying to, I guess, look for other avenues and advocacy? Yeah, I think you see a lot of that. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I should say I. I not really see because the ones that you're seeing are the ones that are out there, you know, uh, shouting to the heavens to get noticed. Uh, but you have a lot of workhorses there in Congress on both sides of the aisle that are, they, they may have different uh, thoughts on, on how to get there, but they want to make uh, the U.S. a better place. And it, it's just that, you know, it's, you don't want to watch sausage being made. It's kind of like the same thing in Congress. Uh, but there's a, there's a lot of uh, uh, working to uh, advance, especially in a transportation uh, committee, which is not as political uh, for the most part as some of the other committees. It reminds me of my class on political science and lobbying. And I heard the best lobbyists were the ones who were never noticed. And when HR 5-71-2 was passed in subparagraph four, they got a 0.01% decrease on this one thing that they cared about. So when we're thinking of like the workhorse and behind the scenes, that's kind of the nuts and bolts of our infrastructure and transportation committees is you're trying to get adjustments and in infrastructure for projects, but you also, I'm assuming, need to tack it onto a bill so that way it actually passes like we saw with the Infrastructure Act. Yeah, correct. You're you're not, a lot of these things you're not going to get as a standalone uh, bill or uh, amendment. You you just need to work it into the language, and that that's where uh, the transportation committee is is uh, works well together because uh, they can uh, you know compromise right. Uh, you know, a lot. Unfortunately, we don't see that some sometimes uh, in Congress, but 
you know, you got to work across the aisle with each other to uh, make those compromises because it's like a marriage. You're not going to get everything you want all the time. So you need to give up something to get a little something. So uh, you may not get everything that you want, but uh, you are moving the, the project that you're interested in and that you believe and your constituents believe and, and your state believes is a good project for, for uh, advancing the, the welfare of, of, of uh, your, the people that you represent. And before we dive in on autonomous trucks, I do, I'm curious, we talk about CARB, Clean Air Act, the Environmental Protection Agency. Is there ever a situation where agencies have overlap? Because I'm assuming if I'm in charge of like the FMCSA or DOT, and then maybe the car back, that may impact the carriers and their operating authorities or may require me to do extra work. Is that something where when we see and we hear in the media about these pushes, are they talking to each other? Like, do you go out to lunch and with the EPA guy and like, hey, Bob, you know, uh, do I know you're looking into this. Do I need to like worry about this? Or is it something that kind of bubbles up on its own and then you have to deal with it if it gets tacked on a bill or something? Unfortunately, it bubbles up on its own. Uh, there may be some minor uh, contact between the two and you want to add in not only EPA but the Department of Energy and uh, they have uh, various projects that deal with uh, energy efficiency and fuel efficiency of of large trucks and uh, large commercial motor vehicles so uh, but and there there's some underlying conversations between the department and uh, DOE uh, but it's it's not as intricate and uh, as robust as you would think it would be. So I feel like that's the opportunity for lobbying. The biggest thing I've always heard with lobbying is half your battle is simply education. A congressperson is very busy. They have a lot of stuff to deal with. And so they really just want to know it. We're looking at autonomous trucks. I feel like we get a lot of overlap. Uh, you know, it, there's the highway, there's the infrastructure, there's how are they going to operate, where the regulatory stuff. So like being at Plus Now, you know, having experience on the Beltway, what is kind of the current mood for this? Because coming from the outside, it feels to me like I read and we write about all these awesome things, but I haven't heard a lot about how yet we're going to, you know, put it in terms of our current regulatory structure. And, and you're absolutely right on the education part. Uh, and that's, you know, part of my role that I'm in now is working to educate not only members of Congress, but also uh, the federal regulators, the state regulators, the state legislators, and their staffs. Uh, and it's, it's a constant uh, churn, right? Because uh, staff don't stay very long in either the, on the federal level, I think in Congress, or, it, or even on the state level. So it's a, it's a constant effort to try to educate new people as to the, what these technologies bring. Uh, but I, I think that uh, the the what the viewpoint now is kind of skepticism on even greater skepticism than before on where L four is is going, where when it's going to happen, uh, with the requirements now of of reporting to NHTSA, uh, any incidents involving ADAS and and uh, which is the assisted driving. Uh, advanced driver assistance systems and the uh, higher levels of autonomy. Uh, I think there's some skepticism, especially when you when you uh, look at the new articles coming out about uh, others in this space with the increased number of crashes and fatalities that are now being reported there. And there's concern there. And you start to see that uh, FMCSA 
started their rulemaking on uh, uh, how to safely introduce these technologies into uh, into the uh, system. And that was done we, uh, it, while I was at the agency back in, we started it back in 2019, and they still have yet to uh, move from the initial phase of rulemaking, which is an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking, to the next stage, which is a notice of proposed rulemaking, which is, is a little bit more concrete and gives a better direction of what the agency is looking at uh, in how they intend to shape the the uh, ADS uh, venture into the into the system. So I, I think that's where we are now is skepticism on the on the uh, regulatory side and uh, certainly the skepticism uh, on Capitol Hill uh, and where you see the the legislation that is looking at being introduced excluding trucks entirely uh, from that uh, provision and uh, us, as as company and, and me working with others within our industry uh, to kind of uh, change that thinking by educating the lawmakers and their staff on what these technologies can bring and improve uh, in safety. So let's and, say adopt really. Yeah, that's what I'm curious about because I'm the inner. I always wondered if I need to get a hold of a, a congressman and I say, let's say I'm with trucking. I'm trying to propose that I really want to have. Uh, smaller skirts or something on the trailer. I know we need this much, but I'd like them to be two inches shorter. Do you have to try and get with the chief of staff or can you just simply make a meeting with a congressperson? Or I'm assuming OIDA and ATA and other and groups who are trying to propose interest, how how does it start? Because I'm assuming that, you know, it's not like you can just check their schedule and, and pencil yourself in. <laughs> Certain, certainly not. Uh, you generally start with uh, one of the staff members, one of the legislative assistants that handles that particular issue. You may want to also talk with the committee staff, uh, it, but it all goes down to who are you going to approach? Like you said, there are 435 members of the House. There's 100 senators. So which one would best be the champion uh, for your provision that you want to see added in? And you target appropriately and that's what ATA does. That's what OIDA does. Uh, OIDA looks at all the congressional districts and they find districts that have a large, large number of owner operators within that district that are residing within that district. Then they'll approach that, that member of Congress and say, hey, you've got uh, uh, 26,000 of your constituents are truck drivers are related in the truck uh, uh, driving industry as owner operators. So uh, then they start talking about whatever issue they want to promote uh, to that member of Congress and their staff. So they, they work it that way. They try, try to create that uh, nexus between uh, the member of Congress and the issue, and that's through the voters. And I heard another thing that the, uh, is very effective in D.C. is I need to create myself a think tank. So let's say I have the Thomas Watson Institute for Trucking and so can you. 
And so then I would bring in or try to get grants and bring in researchers. And I'm assuming the goal would be uh, they would get then picked up on a staff as an expert, or maybe they'll be on a certain subcommittee as somebody that they call. And is that another way that we see, because I see it in defense and other groups where uh, if you can't reach them, maybe you train a subset of folks who are experts in it. And then it just happens to also help because you're still informing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you see a lot, a lot of back and forth, uh, from staff who work on Capitol Hill, I'll, I'll say the average lifespan uh, of a congressional legislative assistant is about three, three and a half years before they move on because uh, the pay is so low uh, on Capitol Hill that you get the younger workers and they're working long hours and then they, they see opportunities outside of Capitol Hill uh, where they can make a better living. And so they, they jump. And so they go into lobbying, they go into think tanks and those types of things. And they become more uh, experts on single issues or, or you know, smaller uh, issues that, that have a dramatic impact. And then they end up, come, some of them come back to Capitol Hill and provide that, that knowledge base that they, they got on the outside. Now they're bringing it back. Uh, to Capitol Hill. So there are there is some back and forth that you see, uh, but uh, un, un, unfortunately, uh, the dynamics on Capitol Hill is that you lose uh, some of those folks that get that experience of, on Capitol Hill that, that know how to get things done, and they end up leaving entirely D.C. Uh, just they move on back home to their home state and, and whatnot. So they're, they're they're gone. They're no longer providing that that uh, knowledge and experience to advance uh, worthwhile uh, issues on Capitol Hill. Last question. Got a little under a minute left here. If I let's say I do want to have uh, autonomous trucks and I want them to be in, is there a specific person or a kingmaker I need to target, or is it really just putting in the groundwork and trying to work your way up to to the staffs and decision? Other it's folks? it's really putting in the groundwork, and we talked about the skepticism. Uh, out there right now on Capitol Hill and the regulate regulators. And this is one, one area where we are trying to address those issues by, uh, our, you've been in our, our driver in system, uh, where we provide a very, very high level of, uh, automation, helping the driver do their job better, safer, safer and easier. And, uh, you know, we just, we announced our, our partnership with Bosch and our recent uh, with Luminar, where again, it's it's providing that impetus to to educate regulators and legislators that this is a great technology and can improve safety on our roads. It just needs to be done in a in a thoughtful way, and we collect that data and advance to that. Whenever L four is going to happen, uh, we'll be there, right? So that's it's yeah. about educate. That's the key point. Perfect. Wiley, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we're out of time right now, but if folks want to learn more about Plus, what's the best way to get in contact? Uh, you can reach out to me, uh, Wiley at plus.ai. Uh, happy to answer any questions. And uh, if I can't answer, I'll let you know and I'll find somebody that can. Perfect. Looking forward to talking to you again. There's a lot to go through and I'm excited to see where this is going. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks, Thomas. I appreciate it. It's going to be a wrap for today, but you can catch this on Apple and Spotify. And we always do a live show every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Newsletter comes out Thursdays, freightways.com slash loaded and rolling. Join us next week. We'll do it live. <laughs>